This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reform Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We read God's Word this morning as it is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We consider the Heidelberg Catechism's instruction in Lord's Day 6 this morning. And Lord's Day 6 quotes a part of 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. 1 verse 30, you'll notice is quoted in Lord's Day 6. But let's read now verses 17 through the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 through 31. Hear the Word of God. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the Gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them that are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that Not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, And things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We read that far in God's holy word. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism. 
Lord's Day 6. Lord's Day 6 asks, Why must He be very man and also perfectly righteous? Because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which hath sinned should likewise make satisfaction for sin. And one who is himself a sinner cannot satisfy for others. Why must he in one person be also very God? That he might, by the power of his Godhead, sustain in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for and restore to us righteousness and life. Who then is that mediator who is in one person both very God and a real righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Whence knowest thou this? From the Holy Gospel which God Himself first revealed in paradise and afterwards published by the patriarchs and prophets and represented by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law and lastly has fulfilled it by His only begotten Son. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, I remind you at the beginning of this sermon that Baptism, the sacrament of baptism is about Jesus Christ. The sacrament of baptism is about the Christ child before it is about the Rutgers child. The sacrament of baptism is about the mediator before it is about how he as the mediator saves us and our children. It's about the only begotten Son of God before it is about our sons and our daughters. That must be our focus this morning. As human beings, we tend to focus on people, we tend to focus on names, we tend to focus on human beings and institutions of this earth. While those are important because we are the objects of His saving work. I remind you this morning that first, the Holy Gospel is about Jesus Christ, our mediator. He's of primary importance. And I remind you of that not only at the occasion of baptism, but in this season, as the world celebrates their Christmas and their holidays, as they call it. The world And the church world focuses their attention on all sorts of presents and gifts instead of the unspeakable gift, Jesus Christ. All around us we are tempted to focus our attention upon lights and trees and decorations and music and happy tunes as the artificial sort of happiness is presented to us. And we can say, We ought to say that these things are not wrong of themselves. But much of it does distract us from that which is our true joy. True comfort. 
to God's people. Jesus Himself. Christianity today would have us focus on a cute baby in a manger scene, quite clean and, and in fact glowing with ambiance all around Him. But that is not the true Jesus that the true believer celebrates today. The sentimentality of the church's the church world celebration is often a mistaken kind of sentimentality. We need to remember that the incarnation is not about a cute baby. It is about Jehovah God Himself condescending very low to take on flesh and blood, a human body and a soul, to become like unto us as a puny child in the darkness and poverty of Bethlehem's stall, to be rejected of us men, of God Himself, for our salvation. Focus, beloved. Focus on Jesus. The Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 6 helps us focus upon Jesus. Last Sunday we considered our Savior, this mediator, from a negative perspective. Lord's Day 5, I remind you, was a slow transition from the first section of the Catechism on our misery. Unto the second section of the Catechism on our deliverance through Jesus Christ. And we saw that in Lord's Day 5, the Catechism instructed us through a process children called, we called it the process of elimination. Where it showed us how there was no way, no other option, no man, no other creature that was powerful enough, righteous enough to save us. And today, Lord's Day 6 brings us finally to the answer, the only answer, the only way. There is no way, no escape, no one else, no other option, but one, one mediator. Who, 1 Corinthians 1.30, who of God is made unto us wisdom. And righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. That is to say, He is our everything, and in Him is every blessing of salvation. Focus on this mediator this morning. One mediator is the theme. First, His identity. Second, His work. And finally, His gospel. His identity, His work, and then His gospel. Beloved, one profound truth that we need to understand at the outset in this first point is that the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Mediator, is not, first of all, about what He can do for you. It's not even, first of all, what He has given to you. Everything He has worked out for you. But the Gospel starts with who He is. 
who He is. The Gospel is first of all, who He is, children. I call you to believe the Gospel that is Jesus Christ Himself, the Mediator. To help impress this upon you, children, in this season, you can probably see many people who receive all sorts of gifts and presents, and, and maybe this is a description of yourself. You receive gifts and presents from your parents or your grandparents or from other people, and, and having received it, you say thank you, or you even say this, I love you. But as you cling to that present, as you th- cling to the things of this earth, and then, and then as many mistreat one another with their covetous hearts, it becomes very evident that the one who has received earthly gifts care more about the gifts than the parent or the grandparent. That's not really I love you, but I love everything you can give me. So I call you, beloved, not only to believe in what Jesus can give you and has given you, but believe in Jesus, His person. Marvel at who He is. Love Him for who He is to you. He is very God, I remind you. And this is review, but it ought to be a doxology in your hearts. He is very God. Question 17 of the Catechism asks, Why must He be also very God? Implying, He must be very God. Our Savior must be very God. And He is. He is Jesus, we say. Jesus, which means Jehovah Savior. The I am that I am eternally always has been. Before Abraham was, he said, John 8.58, I, I just was, I am the eternal covenant God. That's who Jesus is. The second person of the Trinity. The only begotten Son. The Word. Who was with God. John 1.1. 1, 1, and was God. He always was God and always remained God and remains God today. His goings forth have been from of old, yea, from everlasting. Micah 5, verse 2. Not God in part, but very God of the fullness of God. Colossians 2.9 For in Him that is in Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The wonderful the Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Against the world, and contrary to the world that celebrates Christmas today, the true believer clings to Jesus who is God. That heresy of Arianism is not a, just an old heresy in a bygone past of church history. But Arianism is real and prevalent today. Most of the world, along with every other 
false religion and cult holds to the doctrine of devils called Arianism. That Jesus was great, even greater than all creatures and angels, and yet created. Not God. Not Jehovah, the I Am. So that the Jehovah's Witnesses, with all their zealous witnessing about Jesus, promotes a false Christ and a false Jehovah. And the Mormons, for all their nice singing, we might be impressed with, about Jesus promotes a false Christ. True Christians, along with Athanasius, must be willing to stand contra mundum, that is, against the world, and confess with their hearts that Jesus is Jehovah God, very God, and even be willing to stay, say antithetically, along with the, that Athanasian creed, which Athanasius himself did not write, but shows us what he believed as a true Christian, that Jesus is uncreated, He is infinite, He is eternal, He is almighty, one with the Father, Spirit, and God. And if one does not believe this Jesus, he shall without doubt perish everlastingly. Except a man believe this Jesus, he cannot be saved. That's what we believe, as those who hold to the Athanasian Creed. That's what true Christians believe. But let's apply it to us, ourselves. You and I, with our sinful natures, tend to forget this. It's not only the world's problem, problems and the cult's problems. When we come to church, think about that sinful nature. That sinful nature has an attitude that we are God. And that, that this Jesus that we say we come to worship must do what we want. And we, we make demands of Him, and we want Him to heal me, and he, we want me, Him to make me feel better, and we question Him even if He doesn't do what we want. And so we treat ourselves as gods while we treat Jesus as though He is not. Worse than felines, cats, who imagine that their masters are really servants. Because... The masters serve them. Imagine themselves as the master of the house. So we tend to the same thing when we think of Jesus. And so before Jesus Christ this morning, let us, I call you, to take a hold of this mediator Jesus Christ along with Thomas of old. And say with your heart, my Lord and my God. Jesus is the very person of God the Son. And secondly, also at the very same time, man, a human being. That is his beautiful identity. And that is what we celebrate this season. Question 16 of the Catechism asks, why must He be very man? Implying He must be very man. He is very man. What a wonder. What a mystery. The mystery of godliness. 
God has made flesh. The second person of the Godhead, while not ceasing to be God, while remaining the unchangeable I Am, united Himself, the second person, to a real human nature and veiled from human view His divine glory, hid His divinity, and became a man. Many errors attack this true Jesus who is very man and continues to be very man. Second John 1 verse 7 even says this strikingly about the errors against Jesus' divinity and humanity. Many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. He is very really man. And against the deceiver and against the antichrists of today, we must confess this and believe this Jesus. Some like the Anabaptists, the Mennonites, and the Amish of today deny the real human nature of Jesus Christ, teaching that God somehow created a sort of generic human nature outside of the Virgin Mary and then implanted this human nature in Jesus in Mary so that she became a surrogate mother who simply carried the Christ child. That's the false teaching of the Anabaptists that the Belgian Confession tells us about. No, Jesus is a real human being. That is, He was from the stock of humanity. He was made of a woman. Of the Virgin Mary's genes, of her DNA, of her egg in her womb. A Jew of the line of Adam, of Abraham, and of David. Like us in all things. Sin accepted. Complete human. Of body not only, but of a soul. Heresies of old taught that Jesus had a human body, but a divine soul, or at least just a divine mind. No, Jesus is completely human. Soul and body. Like us in all things, sin accepted. God and man. That is why the angels sang. That is why the shepherds left their sheep. And the wise men traveled that long distance to bow before Jesus. Because God had come in human flesh. The Messiah had come. The miracle of miracles had taken place. God manifest in the flesh. That's the identity of Jesus. Very God, very man. And then third, perfectly righteous. As the Catechism points out in question 16 as well. 
very righteous, the Lamb without blemish, without spot. First Peter 3 says, He came as the just, that is the righteous, for the unjust. First Peter 3.18 Without the original guilt of Adam, that is, not judged as guilty along with the rest of mankind for Adam's sin in the garden because he was before Adam as the second person of the Trinity. Without pollution, it is without the sinful nature passed on to him because that spirit, the Holy Spirit, as Gabriel said, came upon the Virgin Mary and the power of the highest overshadowed her Luke one thirty five, so that he that was conceived in the virgin's womb was untainted, untouched with Mary, by Mary's sinful nature, perfectly holy. Marvel at that. Believe in this Jesus and marvel at who He is, perfectly righteous. Think about it. While every human being, every other human being, including the child baptized this morning, every human being begins with a totally depraved, sinful nature, prone to hate God and the neighbor. This child began without a spot of original sin. Perfectly righteous. And while we of ourselves have every imagination of the thoughts of our hearts only evil continually, According to that old man, for Jesus it was every imagination of the thoughts of his heart only, only holy, only righteous, continual. What a Savior. What a righteous one. With perfect good works. Not a single sin of his soul to taint any of his works. Works so many that if you were to record all of the works of the Son of God and put them in books, the world could not contain them. Is there anyone like him? No. And the identity of this Savior, very God, very man, and perfectly righteous, is, the catechism says, mediator. Who then, question 18, is that mediator? That mediator. He's not just called Savior, notice. But the Savior is called the mediator. Not just the deliverer, but the mediator. If people today ask you who you believe in, to help them distinguish your Jesus from the many other false Christs of today, tell him, children, you know this word, tell him, tell the world, I believe in Jesus Christ who is the the mediator. The mediator. And know how to explain that. The only mediator. 
For there is one God, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, and one mediator between God and man. And that's the man, this man, Jesus Christ. What is a mediator? A mediator is one who stands between two. Between two individuals or two groups of persons. And these two groups and two persons are divided. They're separated from each other. And not only are they separated, these two groups or persons are at war. At enmity. As enemies of each other. And the mediator comes between two individuals or two groups of persons and brings peace. Reconciles. And joins even in true friendship and fellowship. These two that were once separated and at odds with each other. That's the mediator. And we understand that from a human perspective, perhaps horizontally, from man to man, or church to church, when there are divisions and controversies and fights and sins. Sin separates. Sin hurts. Sin brings enmity so that there's hatred and much hurt. And often, we need a mediator to come as a peacemaker between two to help counsel and reconcile. My beloved, more, more than you need help with the reconciliation between man and man, man and woman, family member and family member, church and church. More than that, you need the reconciliation horizontally between God and you, the sinner. That's what the mediator, Jesus Christ, has come for. For your iniquities, we read last week, Isaiah 59, has separated between you and your God. There's a chasm between God and sinful man. Larger than the Grand Canyon is the chasm that we have created and caused by our sin. That's the judgment of God, the separation. And in that chasm, greater than than the Grand Canyon itself is not emptiness merely, but it's fire. The fire of God's wrath which ought to come upon us. Now you understand hell. The chasm of God's wrath that we deserve. And thus the need of a mediator come between this God and us to come into this chasm, as it were, between man and God, and to, first of all, as we have already seen last time, to take the fire of God's wrath for us in our place as the mediator. 
Why does he have to be very God? That he might, by the power of his Godhead, sustain the burden of God's wrath. A mere creature cannot. That's reviewed from last time. But the infinite wrath of God is infinite. A human being like us, a finite creature, cannot suffer it completely. And thus the mediator comes as one who is very God that can sustain His humanity to suffer in our place. The mediator must be very man. Why? Why also very man? We have seen that the justice of God requires that. The same human nature which hath sinned should likewise make satisfaction for sin, the catechism says. Man must suffer for man's sin. And if this mediator was only God, then he could not justly take man's sin. And he must be perfectly righteous. And he is. Why? Because one who himself is a sinner cannot suffer for others. That is, he had to suffer for his own sins if he was not perfectly righteous. With his mediator came one perfect righteousness so that he did not have to suffer for his own, but he could come between God and man and take that which was ours upon himself. Thus we have seen his work as mediator already. But the work of mediator is more than that. Having shed his blood, pictured by the water of baptism, to endure the wrath of God, do us and to our children. We must understand that the work of mediator is deeper than that. It's even greater than that. That's not to minimize His work of taking the infinite wrath of God. It's to say, as infinitely great as that is, it's even more. This mediator, very God and very man, did not only come between God and man to take the wrath, the fire, but remember there's a chasm As a separation. And so this mediator brings God and man together. Unites, joins, connects very really God and man in friendship and fellowship with each other. We're not only saved from wrath, you see, but we're saved unto God. Fellowship and friendship with Him, what we call the covenant. That's the work of the mediator, Jesus Christ Himself. 
to understand this work of Jesus, our mediator, think first about how Jesus obtained, He earned the fullness of salvation. That word you find in Answer 17. In Answer 17, we find the word obtained, an important word about the work of the mediator. He might obtain for and restore to us righteousness and life. And the catechism there is answering the question of why He has to be fully God. The mediator has to be fully God, not only to sustain the infinite wrath of God, but also this, He has to be fully God to obtain. To obtain. And that word obtain, the catechism uses in the sense of merit, earn. Jesus Christ, the mediator, was able to merit with God. You should be astounded by that. Because not even the first Adam in the garden was able to merit with God. The first Adam was a mere man. Contrary to popular podcasting reform people today, Adam was a mere man and he could not merit with God. If he did not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, if he had done lots of good works, Adam must or would have had to simply say, I am a servant, unprofitable. I've done my duty. And it's conjecture nowhere in the Bible which speaks of Adam meriting with God. But here's the wonder of the second Adam. The person of God before Adam made human flesh. So great is this mediator that he could merit with God. And he did. He obtained for us every blessing of salvation. He obtained it for Himself, first of all, with His perfect righteousness. That perfect righteousness didn't just qualify Him to suffer for sin. But that perfect righteousness was His perfect obedience, which He did in our place. But all that righteousness He earned, all the fullness of salvation He gained for Himself. And because He is our head, standing between God and us, His elect people, we can say this this morning. We already have every blessing of salvation. Because we have Jesus. That's what 1 Corinthians 1.30 is about, which the Catechism quotes. Who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. When it makes that list, 1 Corinthians, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, I don't have time to explain every word there, but it means, the Spirit means, that in Christ, 
is every blessing of salvation earned. He has obtained it all. In Him is the fullness, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and righteousness and all holiness, sanctification and glorification itself as well. All the Spirit's works, everything Christ has earned already is in Him, obtained by Him. The fullness of salvation is in Christ. And then having earned it all, Obtained. Look at the second word and that second phrase in the catechism. Having obtained. He has to be God. Why? Not only to sustain and obtain, but to restore. Restore to us righteousness and life. This is the mediator's work as well. Having gained or obtained all the blessings of salvation, He rose, He ascended. And standing between God and us His people, He joins each of His elect to Himself. We call that the bond of faith. Theologians call it the mystical union. Invisibly, but really. As a believer, you know this. You are connected. As really as an umbilical cord connects a child to a mother. So you are connected to Jesus. So that from Him, the Mediator, there flows unto us, His people, every blessing of salvation. That's the work of mediator, Jesus Christ. How does baptism relate to that? Remember, baptism is a sign of the covenant. Baptism is a sign of how Jesus has incorporated you into Himself and joined you not only to Himself, but to the triune God. So that when you heard those words, Cameron, you can put your name in there. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those words in the name does not mean, do not mean by the authority of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But you're baptized into the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The sign of baptism is to show you that you are joined into God because of the Mediator, Jesus Christ, who connects you and your children to this covenant God. And then when you saw the water, that water does not only picture the blood which covers us because Christ sustained the wrath of God completely, but the water of baptism shows the free flow of all the blessings of salvation which Christ sends to us and our children by His Spirit as the mediator between God and man. 
This truth of the mediator is the gospel. It is the holy gospel. And as you know, the gospel means good news, the good tidings of great joy. The Catechism makes clear that this gospel was already preached and revealed in the Old Testament. Right away at the fall in paradise, the Catechism explains, when Adam and Eve fell, God brought the gospel to Adam and Eve with that promise of Genesis 3.15. To that blame-shifting couple who had thrown themselves on Satan's side and died spiritually. God gave that mother promise. Enmity. But not between God and man is deserved. Enmity between thee and the woman, meaning the serpent and the woman. Implying friendship between God and His people. Between thy seed and her seed. And it that is, the seed, Jesus Christ, shall bruise thy head, the serpent's head. Thou shalt bruise his heel. Revealed in paradise already immediately at the fall, as the mediator of the covenant between God and man who would come to crush Satan's head. And then after Adam and Eve, the catechism describes the gospel revealed to the patriarchs like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and to the prophets, who then published that gospel to get God's people. And the Catechism speaks of this gospel represented or pictured in the sacrifices and the ceremonies of the Old Testament, in the ceremonial law. And then in the fullness of time, that gospel comes. The mediator comes 2,000 years ago. Very God. Very man. Perfectly righteous. In Bethlehem. This gospel, I said, is good news. But because it was revealed in the Old Testament, we can also say this, and this gospel is old news. It is very old news. It's about 6,000 years old. This gospel has been talked about and revealed again and again to God's people for many, many ages. You know this gospel. Much of what I, I preached this morning is something we call a review of the gospel of this mediator. It's old news. And for the world, and for natural human hearts, old news is despised. The world wants novelty, something new and different. The world wants a different mediator a different Savior, a different Gospel. The world deems it, as 1 Corinthians 1 puts it, foolishness, foolishness. But to you, 
who are called to believe in this mediator, in this gospel. To you, this gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is that which is old news, the gladdest news. And believing it, you marvel. Marveling at this Messiah, you have true joy and peace and comfort as friends of the Most High, bound to Him in an unconditional bond of friendship and fellowship because of Jesus. And you who believe, recognize that it's not because you are smarter than the rest. It's not because you are more wise than the world who disbelieves. For you see your calling, brethren, how not many wise men after the flesh are among us. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. Gospel is revealed to you in the mediator's mercy. The very gift of faith is a gift that he works effectually in your hearts with the preaching of the gospel. Why? So that according as it is written, he that glorious let him glory in this Lord. Amen. For gracious God, we praise Thee for that one mediator between Thee and us sinful men. What a beautiful Savior we have. Very God, very man, perfectly righteous, who has come between Thee, the just God, and us sinful men, to suffer Thy wrath completely, to merit, obtain for us all the treasures of salvation, to unite us to Himself, so that pouring forth from God to us, there might be all the blessings to be enjoyed now and forever. We praise Thee, O God, for this mediator. We praise Thee, O God, for indeed, as we began this service, from Thee alone all blessings flow. We pray that Thou would strengthen our faith, stir us unto greater worship of the mediator, and humble us before His feet. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.